So you might be saying, you mean to tell me I can have a righteousness apart from obeying the law? Yeah, that's exactly what Paul is saying. If God requires righteousness and you're unrighteous and unable to obtain righteousness by your own efforts, you need to obtain it from somewhere else. Welcome to the Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone. As I record this episode, Thanksgiving is just a short ways away. And as we think about Thanksgiving, and I might be a little ahead of schedule, but as we think of Thanksgiving, we have lots to be thankful for. We have friends, family, material blessings, and the list goes on. And this is an important time of year in which we give thanks to God. And when Thanksgiving does get here, that's a good time for us to review the year to see those things for which we ought to give God thanks. Now, don't misunderstand me. I think we should be giving thanks to God throughout the whole year. But Thanksgiving is that day in which we focus on giving thanks to Him. And again, we have lots of things that we ought to thank God for. But there may be something that we neglect to give God thanks for on a regular basis. And that is righteousness. You see, we are unrighteous before a holy God. And he has given us a righteousness that's outside ourselves, meaning we're unrighteous and we can't become righteous by our own good works and obedience. You see, God has given us the gift of his righteousness, and we should constantly give God thanks for that. And the gift of God's righteousness is really the main point of Romans chapter 3. In Romans, Paul is writing to Christians in Rome, and he says in verse 15 that he's eager to preach the gospel to them. And then he gives them the reason why in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And there he says that he's not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God for salvation to believers. Because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And then he concludes verse 17 by quoting Habakkuk 2.4, by saying, the righteous shall live by faith. And there's actually another way of translating this, and that would be, by faith the righteous shall live. So Paul's letter to the Romans is really an articulation of the gospel, especially this idea of a righteousness that is received by faith. Now at this point, I want to emphasize something. I think as Christians, we miss this. Most of us think that since we're Christians, we know the gospel and we no longer need to hear the gospel. And by gospel, Paul means the good news of salvation through God's Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are sinners saved by grace by depending on the perfect work, perfect life, death, and resurrection of Christ. We tend to think that we're past the gospel and we just need to hear about how we're supposed to live. But that's not what Paul thinks. He wants to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to Christians. Why? because he understands that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. Did you catch that? Paul says nothing about the gospel bringing salvation to non-believers. Certainly, Paul wants to preach to non-believers because people need to hear the gospel in order to come to faith. And that's a point that he makes in Romans chapter 10. But here he says the gospel brings salvation to those who believe, those who already believe. So he wants to preach the good news of Christ to believers. And I hope you understand this. He's really saying that believers need to hear the gospel. 
And Michael Horton, a professor at Westminster Seminary in California and a prolific writer, he says that he needs to hear the gospel every day. You see, it's the gospel that softens our heart. It's not more rules. More rules actually just harden the heart. More rules tend to discourage us. It's the gospel that softens our hearts and moves us to love and honor God. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. So the gospel is for believers. So after his introduction at the beginning of Romans chapter 1, Paul lays out the problem of mankind. He's fallen. So through the first three chapters, he makes the argument that mankind is wicked, and he outlines their sinful conduct. For example, listen to the list that Paul lays out in Romans chapter 1, verses 29 to 31. They're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. You see, this is the corruption of mankind. And my guess is you're able to hear your own sins in that list that Paul communicated. The Jews, however, thought they were good to go because they're Jews and they had the law. They thought having the law secured them from the penalty of the law. They fooled themselves into believing that they met the righteous requirements of the law. But Paul is very clear in Romans chapter 3, verse 9, that both Jews and Gentiles are in the same boat. Paul recognizes that both Jews and Gentiles come from the same stock, Adam. Then he quotes several Old Testament passages to show what God says concerning the wickedness of man. And take a look at Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. He says that there are none who are righteous. There's not even one. He says no one understands. No one seeks for God. Everyone is turned aside. They've become worthless. Not a single person does good. And then he describes what this looks like. He says that their throats are open graves, which means they destroy with their mouths. Their tongues are deceitful. He says the venom of asps is under their lips. Again, they destroy with their words. Their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. He says that they're swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. They haven't known the the way of peace, and no one fears God. So the first part of that passage tells you that no one is righteous, and the second part validates the first part by describing the wicked conduct of man. Again, they kill with their words. They're swift to destroy. They don't fear God. And you need to know that Paul is describing you and me. He says there's none righteous, not even one. That means you and I are not righteous by our own conduct. We are actually unrighteous. By our own desires, we don't seek God. We became worthless. Our throats are open graves, meaning we destroy with our words. We were swift to shed blood, meaning that we were destructive against others. There was no fear of God before our eyes. You see, in Adam, we are sinful, both Jew and Gentile, and we all deserve the eternal wrath of God for our sin. You and I are like any other people, unrighteous before a holy God. So here's a question for you. If you're unrighteous, what hope do you have? I think at times we ignore our guilt and assume that the Christian life consists of a series of reset buttons. I sin, repent, therefore God hits the reset button, we start all over again. I'm righteous. But that's not how this works. Your sin is guilt, and it accumulates, and you can't discharge it. 
You see, you're already guilty. You've already violated the holy law of God. First of all, you did this in Adam when he ate the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. But second, you also sinned by your own sinful desires, and you continue to sin daily. As a matter of fact, you can listen to episode 12 where I talk about the Christian life and our struggle with sin on this side of the grave. So we've sinned in Adam and we continue to sin on a daily basis. And we don't get to hit the reset button and clear your record. You can't start over. So working toward obedience doesn't make you righteous because you're already unrighteous. Paul even tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 20 that no one's going to be justified by works of the law, meaning we won't be justified in the eyes of God by our obedience. In fact, let's say that you were able to be completely, perfectly obedient to God from this point on. Would God declare you righteous? No, because you're already guilty. You sinned in the past, and because you've sinned in the past, you're guilty, you're unrighteous. So perfect obedience from this point on doesn't nullify your unrighteousness. The law doesn't bring a standard to obtain righteousness in eternal life. The law shows you that you're a sinner and you can't obtain righteousness through obedience. And then Paul says at the end of verse 20 that the law brings knowledge of sin. He doesn't say that it brings righteousness. In other words, with the law, I'm confronted with my sin, and the law leads me to confess that I can't meet the righteous requirements of the law. Again, you don't get to hit the reset button and start over. You're guilty in Adam, and you have no opportunity to be righteous by your own efforts. The law doesn't set a standard to achieve righteousness. It proves that you're guilty. That's the purpose of the law. You can listen to episode 20 where I discuss further the purpose of the law. So what hope do you have of being righteous if you're guilty of violating God's holy law and unable to become righteous according to your own efforts? Well, Paul answers that question in verses 21 and 22. Listen to what he says. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So you might be saying, you mean to tell me I can have a righteousness apart from obeying the law? Yeah, that's exactly what Paul is saying. If God requires righteousness and you're unrighteous and unable to obtain righteousness by your own efforts, You need to obtain it from somewhere else. But look closer. It's not just a righteousness from outside of you. It's God's perfect righteousness that you can have. It's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, as Paul tells us in verse 22. God gives you his righteousness, the perfect obedience of Christ, and you receive it by faith alone. You don't earn it because you can't earn it. You receive it by trusting Christ for your salvation. We are justified by grace apart from works. Our justification is a gift, which Paul tells us in verse 24 of Romans 3. It's a gift, not something that you earn. How many gifts have you earned? None. They're gifts. The righteousness of God, His righteousness, is God's gift to you. Your righteousness is is not a gift to God. You see, your efforts didn't satisfy the divine justice of God. Since you're guilty, you deserve God's eternal wrath. But Christ is the propitiation. 
that satisfied God's divine judgment. He is the one that satisfied God's justice, not you. You could never satisfy the justice of God because you deserve the penalty for sin. But when you depend on Christ for your salvation, the perfect work of Christ is applied to you. Therefore, you received this justification by faith. You see, we're justified or considered righteous the same way as Abraham. Our faith is counted as righteousness. Take a look at Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. But first, let me just note that Abram is Abraham. God later changed Abram's name to Abraham, but it's the same guy. So in this passage, God tells him that his reward is going to be great. And Abraham tells him that he doesn't have children, and so Eliezer is going to be his heir. And God tells him, no, this guy's not going to be your heir. You're going to have your own son to be your heir. Now, keep in mind, up to this point, Abram was an old man, and his wife was barren. And God is telling him that he's going to have a son that's going to be his heir. God takes him outside, tells him to look into the heavens, and count the stars if he's able. And he basically tells him, that's how many offspring you're going to have. And Abram believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. In other words, God counted his faith as righteousness. Abraham wasn't righteous. God counted his faith as righteousness. And it works the same for us. Because you see, did you notice that Abram didn't obey God? God didn't issue a command. So there was nothing to obey. God made a promise, and Abram simply believed. And because he believed, God counted his faith as righteousness. So with Romans 3.22 in view, God put his righteousness to Abram's account. You're not justified by your conduct. You're justified the same way that Abraham is, by faith. And by the way, this is the faith that God gave you. Your salvation, your justification, is a gift from God. God gave it to you in spite of your sinfulness. You didn't earn it. God simply gave it to you freely in Christ. And you can listen to episode 4 where I talk more about justification. Now, Paul continues in Romans chapter 3, verse 27, by saying that boasting is excluded. There's no boasting in your salvation because it's a gift from God. He did all the work. And Paul confirms this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. And there he says that we've been saved by grace through faith. And he says it's not our doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works. And he did it that way so that nobody can boast about their salvation. Do you see what Paul is saying? Salvation is a gift so that nobody can take credit for it. You can't boast about earning your salvation. You didn't even offer an ounce to your salvation. It is 100% the work of God. And then Paul says in verse 28 of Romans chapter 3 that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. You can't earn your justification. It's a gift from God. And this gift is for believing Jews and believing Gentiles. So what do you do with all this? Well, first, you rest. You rest in the marvelous grace of God. Our gracious God has taken an interest in you. He rescued you by his grace. He pursued you to make you his own, not as a slave, but as a child. Even when you hated him, he loved you, and he came after you to transform you from his enemy into his child. 
Our tendency is to think that God set his grace on us because we did something to draw his attention. But that's not true. He set his affections on us when we were wicked. You see, if God set his affections on us because of what we did, that's not grace. The love God has for us moved him to rescue us. Second, stop trying to earn your salvation. You can't earn it. And stop thinking that you can do something to maintain God's love. He has loved you from eternity. He loved you when you hated him, and your salvation is a gift from God. You didn't earn your salvation. Jesus did. And God gave it to you because he loves you. So stop trying to earn and maintain God's favor. In Christ, you already have it. Third, be careful how you view faith. Faith is not something that you have to achieve great things. Now, I knew a young man several years ago who wanted to have enough faith where he would never get sick again. Do you ever do that? Do you think that you're going to muster up so much faith that you'll never get sick or that you'll be able to do something great for God? Well, I think you're going to be quickly discouraged because you suffer the residual effects of sin. That means you will never reach a point in this life where you will never get sick. And reaching a place where you don't get sick isn't the purpose of faith. Faith stands in contrast to works, and it's the instrument by which you receive righteousness and justification. We are fallen because Adam didn't believe God. He believed Satan who tempted Eve. So the fall is largely due to a lack of faith. The righteousness of God, however, is received by faith, even weak faith. And I hope you catch that. Your weak faith is sufficient faith. You don't have to have great faith. You have to have faith. And that faith that you have, God worked in you. You didn't do that on your own. Remember, all the work of salvation, including your faith, is a gift from God. And then finally, give thanks to God continually. Thanksgiving is a very important part of the Christian life. Now, with that in mind, let me quote several psalms for you. David says in Psalm 7, verse 17, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. Listen to Psalm 97, verse 12. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. And also in Psalm 140, verse 13, Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name, the upright shall dwell in your presence. Additionally, there's a reason to give thanks described in Psalm 106, verse 1. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Because of God's steadfast love and his marvelous grace, he has given us the gift of his righteousness so that we qualify to enter his kingdom. Humbly give thanks to God, for his steadfast love for you. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 31 shows how unrighteous people meet the righteous requirements of God. God took unrighteous people bent on destruction, hearts set against him, and he qualified them for entry into his kingdom by giving them his righteousness, a righteousness that's received not by works, but by faith alone. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at thefoxdenjournal.com. If you enjoy The Fox Den, please leave a positive review and share this podcast with others. 
And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. The Fox Den is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Thanks for listening. And remember, faith comes by hearing.